Welcome back to the Zero Weakness Podcast, where we talk about how to be a better lifter, how to be a better coach, and everything in between. Make sure you subscribe and enjoy. All right, uh, welcome back to another episode of the Zero Week Podcast. Uh, today, wow, <laughs> let's go. Welcome back to another episode of the Zero Weakness Podcast with myself, Tom Brosey, Gidge Dog, and we've got a very special guest, unarguably one of the greatest natural bodybuilders Australia's ever seen, yes. Brandon Kempter from BK Conditioning. I've got a question for you, Brandon. How long have you been doing natural bodybuilding and how much trend are you on? <laughs> uh, all the trend, you know, trend hard. That's, uh, that's my motto. Uh, but we're coming up to over a decade now. How oh, good. Wow. Now, in all seriousness, I just wanted to start off with a funny joke. Uh, Brandon, like I said, is one of the, unarguably one of the greatest natural bodybuilders and bodybuilding coaches in Australia. Mm. Uh, thanks for coming on, Brandon. Yeah, man. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Never missed the opportunity to... Take some time, talk shop, especially with you guys. Always good banter along the way. Sorry. Well, you did miss the opportunity. You didn't show up last time. <laughs> this is actually true. I got this message from Henny and it's like, hey, man, where are you? You're supposed to be here 40 minutes ago. And I'm here like, oh, my God. And, I, and it was right in the middle of contest season. So I had all these sleepless nights with guys in the US and whatnot. So I was like, oh, I'm so sorry, guys. But here we are. We, you know, made it work. So. We forgive you. We, we, yeah, you're good. We banged out an episode. We covered it. We covered. Oh, we covered right. for you. All right. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. We like to start this uh, this podcast just by going around around the circle and saying what we're grateful for. So we're going to throw you under the bus. What are you grateful for this week, Brandon? I'm grateful to have the ability to work with amazing athletes. I'm grateful to have an able body, which allows me to pursue the athletic endeavors that bring me bottomless joy to my life. Wow. Bo- bottomless. B- bottomless. A bottomless. It could I be thought, bottomless, whatever. I you thought you said <laughs> bottomless, and I was like, "You just made up a word, and I really like." It. <laughs> <laughs> Let's roll with it. <laughs> this is a, this is going to be a good podcast because I like hearing you talk because you talk so well, and Brandon is in the same uh, same category. Mm. No, I can't understand Brandon. I just act like I do. Like, <laughs> I know it's clear. You know, bottomless. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Gidge, What are you grateful for this week? The new air conditioning. Nice. Thank you, Thomas. It's You're made welcome. training so much nicer. Now that the weather's warming up. We'll see how that goes over time, you know? I've had a yeah. few comments like, oh, gyms are meant to be hot. Oh, my goodness. We'll see what happens. Can't yeah. please everybody. Dogs. <laughs> <laughs> James. Um, I am grateful for, <clears throat> yeah, my, my work environment. I know I say this every week, but this is pretty cool. Like, got Brandon on for mm-hmm. a podcast, get to talk shit uh, with with my, my family. This guy's my boss. That's <laughs> 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 pretty cool. It's great. Mm, I'll take that. What about you, Thomas? <laughs> uh, I'm grateful for music. Yeah. I'm grateful for music. I, uh, I I don't give enough time to playing music, and every time I do, I remember how much I love it and how meditative it is. And, yeah, this week I'm grateful for music. thousand percent. Amazing. Great That's one. me. Speaking of which, let's let's ask Brandon another question. What's your, what's your like, go-to song? Do you, do you do hype-up music or are you a no-headphones kind of guy? Uh, I'm definitely one that loves music. I uh, definitely believe anecdotally that it is performance enhancing. I actually did a, a lit review on this as part of my master's. Um, the research we indicated does as well. Nice. But in terms of your initial question, uh, in terms of hype up track, I'm actually pretty pretty versatile. As you guys know, I train with high arousal. I'm the guy that pinches his eyelids, slaps his thighs to get in the zone. So uh, when I'm dieting, it's usually going to be something heavy. But when I'm in the off season, we can get into some cruise and B. It's all good. Nice. Nice. So yeah. 
I like it. I like it. All right. Well, this podcast is all about you. So oh. let's uh, let's start with where it all began. When? How did you get into training in the first place? On a dark, stormy night. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. But uh, for me, uh, training really started. It started on my family's farm. We uh, lived out in the bush. Didn't really have access to gym equipment. Uh, but I grew up reading a lot of comics, and everyone was jacked. Even Spider-Man, the silky, was jacked too. So I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to have to start training. I really want to get this, get into uh, that kind of shape. Here's me at about 14, 15 years old. And at the time, I was essentially lifting anything that I could find on the property. So you know, bags of concrete that went off. Cool, we can do bicep curls with that. We can sling it over the shoulder. We can do lunges, etc. Went down the forestry, cut myself a couple of trees down, made myself a self-spotting rig so I could take my bench press to failure. So that's really kind of where it started. And then, you know, get, having access to a, a gym upon getting a driver's license was like, wow, this is absolutely amazing. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's where it started. From there, I had the opportunity to work in a boutique studio as a personal trainer. And at that time, I really started to experiment with different training styles. I did a bit of CrossFit for a while there as an 18-year-old or so. Back then, I was doing two days, like AM, CrossFit, PM, bodybuilding. Nice. Obviously, uh, it can only get you so far. But uh, in my endeavours to uh, optimise my physique, I focused on bodybuilding. And then at 19 years of age, I started competing and uh, went through teenage, juniors, opens, pros, etc. So back uh, back on the farm, it, it was your farm Sunshine Coast? Sunshine Coast, yeah. And then you started started training on the on the Sunshine Coast as well. Yeah. What sort of what sort of pushed you towards your first bodybuilding show? Like, was that always an aspiration from when you started? seeing changes in your physique or was it something that someone was like, hey man, you should give this thing a go? Um, look, it's that, it wasn't necessarily any or much in the way of external um, input. More than anything, it was curiosity. When I started training and I could see that, hey, you know, through training and nutrition, I have the amazing ability to change morphological form. I was like, okay, let's take this canvas that is my body and see how far we can take it. And one of the things that I really cherish about that first run into stage is I knew little about you know my competitors or anything like that social media was hardly a thing i rolled into this show bringing my best at the time with the knowledge that was available and happened to thankfully gratefully win the the teenage division and that was this kickstart like hey this is actually something that i might actually be good at uh, i knew that i had the the grit and determination that perhaps not everyone had and uh from there you know that passion was really ignited and supercharged so that was 19 years old. How old are you now? I am 29. Okay, so 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 10 year career so far. I like it. That's far, yes. Yeah, awesome. Um, and uh, what then sort of, uh, you know, you, that spark was lit. You started training, competing. Mm. Um, eventually you moved down here. Talk us through the transition between being up there, what sort of encouraged you to move down here, and then how did that sort of impact on your... On your competitive side of things before mm. you move into like the actual coaching side of things. Yeah, well, look, I've been down here since 2014. Uh, prior to that, I was on the Sunshine Coast. My parents live in the hinterland on a, on a bit, of, bit of land up there. Uh, but for a good chunk of time, I did live in Caloundra, which has its own bodybuilding community. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. But I actually came down here because I was offered a position at uh, a good friend of mine's gym, Nathan Wallace. And I actually worked within that for a couple of years. And his gym was very, very bodybuilding specific. So there as a well basically a single 
21-year-old, I think, at the time. It was just cool. I get to live and breathe bodybuilding every moment of the day. And it definitely supercharged my my physique and, and obviously from a professional perspective as well uh, through that time. Mm-hmm. And in those early phases, like when you competed at age 19, were you doing your own thing or had you enlisted the help of a coach at that stage? In When I competed at 19, I did that solo, which is, to be fair, I mean, that's very challenging. Uh, but thankfully, you know, being more, I suppose, a tech-savvy genre, uh, sorry, tech-savvy uh, like generation, I had the uh, I had access to a lot of information, and I was also studying at that time as well um, in the in the discipline. So, yeah. What were your early influences like when you say you had access to information? Who were you su- sort of subscribing to back then? Oh, I mean, definitely Helms was coming up there, but Nunez, those guys, uh, Matt August as well was sort of the OG when it comes to flexible dieting. Um, and also I did have some influence from a couple of the academics at uh, USC as well who had their hands in the bodybuilding side of things a little bit. So those guys were my primary kind of source of information at that time. Yeah. It's, it's so cool to see people like Matt Ogus, uh, Alberto Nunez, and obviously Eric Helms, but they're still, they're still like pioneers and the, they're still like the reigning champs, you could say, in natural body bodybuilding which is so cool to see i would say like for their influence has been uh phenomenal i think that mm. in the natural and in the i suppose you could say modern era those yeah. guys have had a, a major influential role. yeah i used to love matt ogus and uh, was it legends of, of aesthetics loa yeah yes. they were awesome i remember so i've never actually worn a stringer but <laughs> i did i did buy a stringer one time because of matt ogus I was like, he looks sick in a stringer. And he's half Filipino as well. So I remember I bought a stringer. I put it on. I said, nah, this, this is not it. And I never wore it. I chucked it out. I was like, nah, that was embarrassing. I, you know, I was like, yeah, I'm in good shape. And I put on a stringer. And that just reveals everything. If you want to know how bad shape you're in, put on a stringer. <laughs> so that was my uh, introduction to stringers. But um, Brandon, obviously, as a bodybuilder and a, a really good bodybuilder, nutrition uh, plays a huge part in your performance what does a day of eating look like for you uh well look a day of eating is specific to the what, what that looks like is specific to the individual phase uh but i'm definitely a big proponent of making sure that regardless of the phase you have structures in place which are conducive to uh ensuring an appropriate micronutrient profile so as part of that we adhere to the fundamentals in terms of getting enough quantity and diversity of minimally processed plant-based matter uh, he eats vegetables. Yes, I do. <laughs> I do. Just, I'm, I'm just going to translate for the listener every now and again. Yeah, CJ, can we get some subtitles? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, in the off season, uh, in the off season, I will generally participate in phasic periods of of uh, energy surplus, followed by sh- small stints in a deficit, i.e., a mini cut. I will say that these days my energy requirements are much less being a sedent- basically a glorified desk worker compared to when I was a personal trainer. So back in the day, pushing, you know, 5,500 calories, you know, that was a big deal. Hard to do. But these days, you know, I'm going to comfortably gain on like high 3,000s. It's pretty comfortable. So, I mean, most of my days, I have my, my fundamental sort of three meals, which to be fair, uh, two of those will be liquid when I'm gaining because it's very hard to get the food in. Food motivation is low. And then we'll fill in the gaps with the fundamentals, fruit, vegetables, etc. So basic, essentially. It's um I got a funny story about uh nutrition with Brandon. So Brandon uh he actually used to run his business out of this gym. 
out of yep. this gym and the old one, PTC. And I remember yep. one day, Thomas, remember when Brandon was eating kangaroo mints? He made yes. like kangaroo mints sandwiches, <laughs> yep. like burgers. And um, yeah. I remember the next day, I was like, fuck, Brandon does that. I'm doing that too. So I came in with my kangaroo burgers. And as soon as Thomas saw the fridge, he goes, bro, you're just doing that because you saw Brandon doing that. I was like, nah. And then, and then Thomas pulled out his kangaroo burgers as well. <laughs> we just saw Brandon. He's jacked. I'm doing that. Yeah. <laughs> nah, my, my favorite Brandon nutrition story. I think, I can't remember if you were in prep or not. I think you were in prep. But we got the, it was the first time we got white monsters in the fridge. And Brandon was eating a tub of like rice and stuff, rice and chicken. And uh, he got out the white monster, looks at the back of it. It, the white monster isn't completely zero calories. It has like eight calories or something. He's yeah. like, oh, I'm going to have this. And then he like individually picked out a whole bunch of grains of rice and threw them out to like no way. account for those <laughs> calories. <laughs> everything counts in contest prep. Would I do that in the off season? No, I wouldn't. But <laughs> in contest preparation, yeah, everything counts. The more tightly we can control those variables, the more predictable the result. And if we're going for that top level result, we need everything in our favor. So yeah, that definitely sounds like something I would 100% do. Yeah, but I, I love it. I mean, like that's that's uh, that's the craft that has elevated you to have the kind of conditioning that you come in with, and your athletes too. Like you see mm -hmm. that that's the that's the the common thing with your athletes. They are fucking conditioned. Mm. Every single one of them. I remember at the old gym when you used to bring in your athletes. I'd just be like, look at this guy. This guy's <laughs> diced. Every it's, single one of them. It's really interesting because like before you worked here or worked out of here, um, you, I had never, I'd never really been exposed to, uh, to bodybuilders in that, mm. that deep phase of contest prep. Like I had never seen people that shredded up close. It's phenomenal. It's definitely a different, different ball game. Um, and it's, it's an interesting genre of sport. And I remember chatting to you one day and you said like, wow, like it's been crazy to watch this guy just live literally transformed before yeah. our eyes over the past 25 weeks. And I'm like, yeah, this is, what, this is what we do. I mean, this is, and it's a big part of what uh, makes my job super exciting. I mean, from, from both as a, as an athlete and, uh, and coach, it's just amazing just to see this physique li literally transform before your eyes. It's mm. really, really amazing. So let's go back to, you know, you won that show, you eventually moved down here. Did you eventually enlist a coach or have you been doing it solo the whole time, just picking up your, your influences and education along the way? Yeah, look, I definitely had some external influence across my last few preparations. I believe that no matter how well-informed you are, uh, at the end of a contest preparation, it becomes very, very challenging to maintain an objective eye. We start to make thing, make silly decisions because our emotions determine how we perceive our physique. So sometimes the, things that we, the decisions we make aren't exactly logical. Uh, so I had my good friend Nathan Wallace who... Uh, I have obviously a long, a long uh, relationship with him. He's a good good friend of mine. Mm. Uh, and even in my last contest preparation, he was my eyes because I'm one of those individuals of whom loves the suck, so to speak. I have a positive association with with pain and discomfort. So if anything in a contest preparation, I'm going to go too hard. I'll be the guy that goes until I injure myself or mm -hmm. uh, or whatever. Because again, I have a, this positive association with strategic and methodic suffering being essentially beneficial to one's result. So he's that individual that's, uh, that's my eyes. Like, hey, man, it's all good. Chill out. Uh, or, you know, give yourself a slap in the face. You don't need to do that, you know, et cetera. So, yeah, he's been instrumental uh, for me over the years. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, as, you've, as you've come up through the ranks, what would you say is the, the body part that you've had to work on the most? Chest. Chest. Just some and hamstrings and calves. I mean, that, there's still nothing there, but you know, 
But I would say they're the two key areas I had to work on the most, yeah. Uh-huh. And g- going back a step, sorry to keep jumping around like this, but just while yeah. I'm thinking of it, um, you know, that, that use of uh, external eyes to, to prevent the emotion taking hold too much. What are some of the most common mistakes that bodybuilders make that deep in prep that can sabotage the result by the end? Oh, I mean, look, it, go, it can go many, many ways. But again, I just think that um, by the end of a contest preparation, you are sort of physique checking many times through the day, whether you like it or not. Um, and again, your sort of emotions can affect how you perceive your physique. You know, one day it's, it's an emotional roller coaster. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm flat in this current phase. Uh, therefore, I'm, sm- I'm not my largest being. So, okay, now I'm feeling small, but then maybe the next day, okay, actually, I'm feeling a little bit soft. I have more to go in terms of conditioning. So I think we, we see some people who aren't aggressive enough in their diet, some people who are more aggressive than they need to be. Uh, and given these emotions as well, sometimes that transfers to people's training as well. You need, to, you need to go against your biological cues to conserve energy at the end of a condus prep. You don't feel like moving, you need to. You don't feel like training, get in, get it done. So it can go a multitude of ways, but I think... Having you just have to have that external viewpoint because I believe that contest preparation is the science of the art. The art is knowing, sorry, the science is knowing what variables you can change, what influence it should have on the body, and the art is knowing how to interpret what you're seeing and knowing what combination of variables and to what magnitudes you need to update that. And that that art is lost when you are, or rather, your ability to apply the art of, of contest prep is skewed, no matter how you know knowledgeable you are at the end of a contest prep and that really didn't answer your question but (laughs) hopefully there's something useful there no it gives insight it definitely gives insight and i mean um not not to try and draw too many parallels to to powerlifting but uh it's kind of similar in the sense that the more uh, the more the emotional investment increases and it's the same as towards the end of a peak Mm. um uh, the more even if you are knowledgeable you know what you're looking for you know what you're looking at you'll create pathways of justification to make the wrong decision and so having that external objective set of eyes or input is going to help a lot exactly right like you will find ways to justify uh certain things along the way if you're not careful you got to be able to call you out yourself out in your bs and i think most people struggle with that that's where that external influence comes in and says hey this is where it's at good to go Mm -hmm. uh how do you know How do you, because uh, obviously we talked about before, uh, like every single one of your clients, like you're known for your conditioning, like yourself and your clients. Um, how do you how do you know that? Because to me, it seems like every single one of your athletes get to that level of conditioning. How do you, do you have a screening process on how to, like when people come to you and want to work with you? Like, how do you know which athletes to take on? And <laughs> is, it, is it a process like that or anything? Well, I mean, let, let me start from the first point there. I mean, look, as a start, thank you very much that... Uh, that you notice that everyone's in shape. That means a lot to me. Uh, consistency is important. Like mm-hmm. That's the thing I notice. When I see like the athletes that you guys put out, I'm like, it's consistency. You guys are always bringing quality, not just a once-off, it's it's consistently. So that's something I notice. And it always means a lot when it's noticed on the bodybuilding side of things. I mean, we do have a screening process in terms of uh, the fundamentals, in terms of making sure one is a perfect picture of health before commencing what is a very stressful endeavour on the body. Um but, I mean, in terms of screening someone deeper beyond that, I, I believe that I believe anyone can get into a top-level shape from the perspective of conditioning, provided we have time, strategy, and work ethic. Uh, I suppose our, I suppose you call it screening, is that we work with a lot of our athletes long-term in the off-season. As part of that, we get to know our athletes in terms of where their limitations lie. 
and we get to work on creating the mental toughness which is required to achieve that top level of conditioning. So we're not, it's not that we're going to have an athlete come to us and we're like, ah, you know, I don't think you're, you're made of the stuff, you know, go away. It's, it's more a matter of, okay, you're not made of it yet. Mm-hmm. Let's work on that and get you to a position where you've got the knowledge and the mental toughness to take on this contest prep. And that might be a two-year process. It, it could be 18 months. It really depends. Mm-hmm. I think that's w- one thing I, I picked up on that, that you told me early on about your coaching is that you're not allowed? You're not afraid to say no to people. Like too many coaches, they're just like, "Oh, you want to do season eight? Yeah, let's do it." It's in six months' time. You're the kind of person that's like, "I'm not going to do that because I'm not going to be able to produce the best result out of you." Yeah, yeah, that's true. And it's really hard to say no. I think, especially if you're a trainer coming up, and a lot of trainers coming up who perhaps endeavour to work in in physique sports, which is the only area of of uh, sport I work in, it is in that scenario. I imagine very, very hard to say no. But the way I look at it is this. When I put it to an athlete and they say to me, look, I want to do season A. Let's say it's 15 weeks time. And I say, look, I think it's in your best interest for your result to look at the next season. That gives us, whatever, 40 weeks. And the way I'd use your frame to them is like this. If you want to see someone else, you can. They will take you on. But they don't have your best interest at heart. Mm -hmm. What am I gaining from telling you something that you don't want to hear? There's every possibility you can walk away now. And in most scenarios, people are going to be pretty receptive to that. You know what, actually, you know what, this person has my best interests at heart. Mm-hmm. I'm cool to play the long game. And thankfully, in my scenario, I work with a lot of athletes that are veterans. They know it's not going to be an overnight process. Yep. Yep, yep. It's a very powerful sales tool. It's called damaging admissions. You say <laughs> what's not good about your service and not good is very subjective. It's, it's actually really good to say where a weakness is in terms of, I'm not just going to say yes to everyone. I thought you just have zero weakness, nothing. Don't worry at all. <laughs> Damn. I like, <laughs> I like that a lot. Well, I, there's actually uh, no such thing as zero weakness. It's just the absence of strength. <laughs> Far out. Okay, moving on. Um, I'm really curious. You, you said as part of that, you know, like um, one of the things you want to do is develop someone's mental toughness in the quote unquote off season mm. uh, so that they can handle the kind of demands that they're going to be, be under a, when it comes to prep, how, what, what are the mechanics of that? Like, how do you actually develop someone's mental toughness? Well, I mean, the short answer is through repeated exposure. <laughs> so a couple of things. I mean, in the off season, we will, uh, obviously as hypertrophy athletes, it's a intensity and volume mediated adaptation. So we usually do some video analysis. And uh, rather than really focusing solely on technique, which is or primarily on technique, which you guys will, obviously we are relying on technique, but more than anything, we're going to use movements that are less skill specific and we're probably going to be assessing um, basically uh, concentric contraction velocity and proximity to failure. Within that sort of thing, we can teach an athlete how to train hard. I often say that for bodybuilders, we teach new athletes how to train hard and we teach advanced athletes when to train hard. Now you push, now you pull back. Mm-hmm. Um, so through, through that sort of thing, we can teach an athlete what it's like to train at that top level. And then we're also creating some fundamental positive habits pertaining to their nutrition, uh, particularly in short dieting stints like mini cuts. Although it's not as hard as a condos prep, there's habits there that are going to, or good or, and bad, that are going to rear their head that we can kind of refine for the contest preparation. So through that, we can learn, okay, you know what, there's certain areas in your lifestyle need to be modified in order for you to achieve that, that high end result that is a contest prep. Okay, cool, we can work on that. Have you found it challenging sending the message of intensity across to people since you've branched more away from in-person to online coaching? Because obviously when you've got James, James was talking about before, 
going going on the pendulum squat with you. Like if you go if you do a pendulum squat with Brandon, you're gonna have a bad time guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> so like how do you how do you deliver that message online uh, consistently? Like there's obviously some strategy that you use or your your experienced eye to watch someone actually train and be like, I think you can push that harder or not, but it's all retrospective. So mm. I'm curious how you found that process of getting that intensity message across to people. It's definitely challenging uh, on an online basis. And I will, I will say this, you know, I originally was the in-person guy. I was in-person personal trainer. Didn't want to know much about this online side of things. I ventured into that area by necessity of people wanting to work in the outside of my geographic location. And the reason I didn't want to go online originally was because I thought, you know what, I don't want people to feel like they're just a number and I like to build meaningful relationships. But I think that taking that perspective, the in-person feel and vibe to the online space is something that's really worked well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, yeah, portray, to, to your question, portraying that, that necessi- necessity for intensity is definitely challenging. Video analysis is great. I do my check-ins via video, so I'm able to really show expression uh, through, that, through that process. Uh, and using as many descriptors as possible, okay, this is how it should feel, mm-hmm. um, et cetera, et cetera. And then basically, again, repeated exposure. You, like, based on this you clearly have at least five more reps in the reserve if someone had a gun to your head. So next week, uh, put 10 more kilos on it and let's do the same again. Okay, we have a look next week. Actually, you know what? You've still got more in the tank. Cool. You need to experience true failure, I think, multiple times so you're actually able to judge what intensity is. That's... um. It's funny you say that because I'm still I've still got clients that are still getting used to and understanding you know RPs and RARs and until like I'm with them and I talk them through the process I'm like all right this is what it should feel like this is what you should be doing now your reps are finally slowing down that's a true gauge of what your RPE is so you've been undershooting this whole time kind of thing involuntarily slowing down yeah <laughs> but I um so obviously you've been known we've seen you around here like squat bench deadlift you always prioritize some kind of powerlifting movement mm-hmm. or some kind of compound movement um does your programming hang on, hang on. when have you seen Brandon squat <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well it's been a long time for squat you know, <laughs> so the one time I did see Brandon squat he's doing sets of 15 with 150 yeah <laughs> <laughs> sounds, sounds, about right. sounds like Brandon. <laughs> I was like, this is nuts. But um, so what, so obviously, yeah, like I said, you, you prioritize some kind of movement. Is that, does your programming look quite similar across the board for all your athletes? I mean, obviously programming is personalized, but uh, I think if you're an absolute bodybuilding purist, you would say that, hey, we should just rely on movements that are primarily machine-based, that are low skill, and we can, you know, offset the stability to the machine, just focus on intensity with less regard for technique because, you know, hypertrophy is intensity and volume mediated, this is going to be great. And in theory, that does hold up. Um, but I do believe there is benefit in performing some of the bigger power lifts for broad development. I don't think they should comprise a massive volume allotment. So, for example, in my scenario, there was a point there I was doing deadlifts every second week for two sets. And you know, that's, if you're training hard, I mean, that's, that's effective. But again, it's a small part of the programming. But I think for overall development, there's certainly benefit but it's not essential. You know, mm-hmm. If you have an individual that has uh, maybe structural anthropometry doesn't sit right with that particular movement, it's a pain in the backside, or maybe their injury, they continue to get injuries in a particular movement. Yes, of course, we could spend a whole bunch of time working on their tech, but is it worth it? So you know, you got to weigh that up. Uh, but p- me personally, I will do those big lifts. Um, I've recently got back into squatting, so you know, mate. Nice. Uh, front squatting, because that's the most hypertrophy-specific squat variation for me. Um, but I, d- I do believe there's potential benefit there. Uh, with their inclusion and for my athletes if 
they're able to do so, we we often have a volume allotment set aside for those bigger lifts. Because mm-hmm. um, I've just got one of my face-to-face clients, uh, Nikki Huser, who trains like an absolute animal. She's actually just jumped on board with Brandon. Yeah. Um, and so her thing was with bodybuilding, you know, she's like, wanted to try something new, came in here, learned how to do squat, bench, deadlift, you know, with the principles and systems that we use at Zero. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I love this. Yeah. But I love bodybuilding more. Mm. So, and she really wanted to get on with Brandon. So I like, I, I feel like I kind of helped in, uh, <laughs> you know, planting that seed, messaging Brandon. And now she works with Brandon, but she still trains here face to face with me. Yeah. Because yeah, she's like, I really enjoy squat, bench, deadlift. Yeah. And she's getting really good at them. She is. Mm. Yeah, she's a weapon. She is a weapon. Mm. Hey, can I just uh, um, uh, yeah. She, I mean, she's a, she's a, she's a weapon, man. Mm. What I like about her is she just gets in and does it. Yeah. So no matter what, it's like, hey, I want this. I'm going to do it. And that's an athlete mindset right there. Is they got this outcome in mind and they're process orientated. Yeah. To do X Y Z to achieve that. Let's go. Uh, but just jump back a couple couple um points there. You know, you're talking about the squat, dead, and bench, and bodybuilding training. One thing I find really fascinating about our industry is we are, whether you like it or not, a very trend-based industry and mm-hmm. the pendulum swings in extremes and he who has the most extreme perspective gets the most attention. And uh, if we look back, say, 10 years ago, uh, power building, body lifting was very big, right? And as part of that, uh, in that era, myself included, we're doing a lot of squat and bench. It was a bigger portion of my volume than it is now. But in these days, the pendulum swung in the opposite direction. Uh, where it's like, okay, we're really aware of our FSR uh, and we're going to use just machine base. And I think that is also equally limiting. Should be in the middle here. You know, there is potential benefit for those big lifts. There is some downsides. They're technical and maybe they come at a higher fatigue cost in terms of central fatigue accumulation. Maybe they're not as hypertrophy specific by way of the range of movement that we accumulate within something like a deadlift, which is partial in every joint structure. But I don't think we should completely just ride them off either. So yeah, time and place, context specific. Yeah, I think I think it's um just in Nikki's case as well because she you know she like I said she's got a very high uh, high work rate. Yeah, loves you know working really hard in the gym. Really understands how to push your RIRs and RPs and things like that. But um, I always try to say to people who are in a similar boat to Nikki, like squat, bench, deadlift, this is the skill. We're going to practice this skill. Yeah. And then we're going to, you know, really push the volume and intensity on some of our uh, machine-based exercise and things like that. Yeah. So it's um it's really fun to see someone like Nikki who's got really, uh you know, high aspirations in bodybuilding. She's already a great bodybuilder. Yeah. But it's cool seeing her, you know, pay such attention to detail in squat, bench, deadlift. I think that both sports, whether it's bodybuilding and powerlifting, you can take a leaf out of each each book. I mean, you mm. guys are the, the, the artists of the squat, dead, and bench. If you want to learn how to squat, dead, and bench and put yourself in the most mechanically advantageous position, you see a powerlifter. Um, but again, you can take a leaf out of each each there. When you guys are in the off-season, maybe there is some benefit to driving RP right up in some of those accessories where you guys are just trying to put on muscle mass and then later on, you know, maximize your functional capacity to express good technique in a 1RM in the squat, dead, bench. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that th- there's... There's productive components from each. And body composition as well. Like mm-hmm. powerlifters benefit from having the most muscle mass and the the least amount of fat that they can comfortably carry in a in a, in a calorie sort of neutral environment mm. uh, to, to benefit in their weight class. Yeah, 100%. No, that's really cool. Um, fuck, what was I about to say? I was going to say. <laughs> uh, so then going back to your story, you know, bodybuilding eventually came down here. Uh, competing more, getting better and better, rising up through the ranks, becoming pro. Where did coaching come into that for for you? Yeah. Well, through that time, I was personal training. 
uh, and basically 2014, thereabouts, when I did move to the Gold Coast uh, and I was working out of a, basically the, I suppose you could say a bodybuilding specific version of this gym. It was just bodybuilding basically. Yeah. Uh, and that's where I, I really specialised. And from basically mid-2014 to this day, I work exclusively with physique athletes. Did you find it hard letting go of general personal training and going right down the road of bodybuilding or you were so so deep into it that it was just exactly what you wanted? It was exactly what I wanted, to be honest. Um, and people often ask me, like, you know, would you ever look at working with Gen Pop again? And it, like, I have all the respect in the world for people that do because I believe they make a meaningful difference. So you're going to extend someone's life by actually, you know, giving them a body composition conducive to health and I'm just going to tell people how to get shredded and give them an eating disorder. Joking, of course. <laughs> um <laughs> so I, I mean I have all respect for it but I, I don't personally I don't know how to think like a gen pop uh, none of my systems are calibrated for gen pop so my ability to relate and be empathetic which I think is really important is just mm. non-existent for the gen pop <laughs> yeah um, so at this point I don't I mean I, I, well then I had no issue transitioning and, and at this point I, I can't see myself working with gen pop anytime soon <laughs> what sort of advice would you give to you know, aspiring bodybuilding coaches that are the PT in the good life or the world gym mm. that are looking to specialize more in bodybuilding, how can they transition towards that direction? Well, I'd give a few points. I would say, one, invest in your education, whether it's through men mentorship or through conventional tertiary pathways in, in uh, the areas of exercise, nutrition, science. But above and beyond that, I would certainly recommend that you... Uh, you seek coaching, that could be in part of mentorship and you participate in the sport. Uh, we've often had these discussions, myself and uh, colleagues about, okay, can you actually be a bodybuilding coach if you've never participated? And the straight answer to that is yes, but I think there's major downside. It's such a unique sport. And same with powerlifting. Like I don't pretend to coach powerlifters and if I haven't participated in I don't know what it's like on the day. What's the energy like? How's the timing run? Like mm. what's the athlete experiencing? Uh, but I definitely say participating in the sport is, is a must, uh, in my views at least. And you don't necessarily need to be the best uh, athlete. I don't think being a pro bodybuilder by default makes you a good coach. It does not. But you need to compete at a high level, as in for you. Take your, your canvas that is your physique to a high level. That gives you that unique relatability. Uh, and I think that's incredibly important. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it just comes back to exactly what you were just talking about, which is empathy. How can you empathize with someone competing at a high level if you've never been there? You mm. don't know what it feels like. You don't know the pressure that's put on you, mm. both externally and internally. Um, what you were talking about before, you were talking about conveying the sense of feeling through the online medium. You can't do that if you've never felt what hard training feels like. Yeah, exactly right. So, yeah. so much of what we do uh, centers around feeling and commuting, communicating that feeling to people. So. Mm -hmm. Um, I completely echo that. Absolutely. Um, in like a really tech-savvy era where, you know, Instagram, TikTok, social media platforms, it's almost like the main driver of a lot of these bodybuilding and fitness influencers uh, mm -hmm. businesses. How have you managed to uh, keep yourself, your brand so integral during, during this phase? And have you managed to stay clear of any arguments, all the bullshit? Like I've never, unfortunately in our industry there's a lot of you know head-to-head -head, like talk, shit talking and stuff on the internet have you managed to stay clear of all of it i've never heard of you in an argument i've never seen you shit post i've never seen you do any of that well look i think i think the social media side of things it is incredibly important in our uh line of work um and i mean to answer the 
few subsections in that question. Uh, look, I'm very clear to my message in terms of uh, coaching. I coach for it's it's athlete centered coaching. So uh, I'm not someone who I just I don't feel the need to go out there and big mouth myself on social media or anything like that. I believe that uh, the physique speaks. So whether it's myself, my athletes, uh, if people are noticing, hey, these guys look great, that's great. And I'm never going to be the person who's going to tear down someone else like, oh, this person's rubbish or anything like that. Because as cliche as it sounds, like I would hate to be treated like that. And I believe that everyone's out there doing their best. And if someone's putting out, there is people putting out deliberate misinformation that absolutely uh, frustrates me. But outside of that, you know, sometimes you have people putting out uh, misinformation accidentally because... And especially in this day and age, so not to go off topic here, but on the topic of social media, we have a lot of, in, the, in our day and age, is a lot of people of whom want to be quote-unquote evidence-based, but we have a lot of people who don't have scientific training, which means they can't read, interpret, and critically analyse um, research. So what they do is they find someone on Instagram who sounds scientific-ish and then just take their word for gospel and then it's like Chinese whispers and there's no peer review on social media and you end up with a lot of crap. So, I mean, like in that, again, I'm going off on a topic here, uh, off on a, a tangent here, but I would never bring someone down. I just don't believe it's necessary. Mm. I always find it odd because um, I'm, you know, I think the same thing. It's really weird when you see uh, powerlifting coaches, bodybuilding coaches attacking each other online, you know, tearing down what they do. It's like, bro, that's that guy's job. <laughs> Question He's two. trying to feed his family. Question two. You love powerlifting. Mm-hmm. I love bodybuilding. So what benefit is it doing powerlifting or bodybuilding for me to tear down another bodybuilding or powerlifting coach? Someone of whom has the love for the iron, mm. who's bringing people to our sport. We should be lifting mm-hmm. one another up. Like mm-hmm. I, people say to me like, oh, you know, enhanced bodybuilding and natural bodybuilding. I'm like, I have a love and appreciation for both. Um, and and uh, like if you're down for bodybuilding, then I'm like, I'm, I'm down with you. This is great. Like mm. you're, you're, you're participating in the sport, which we love. This is good. So yeah, I don't understand it, but hey. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's it's almost like a we have a responsibility as as leaders and experts in the industry to uh, to send a positive message mm. out, and that involves education as well. And I, I think what what's important to uh, I heard it put a good way this morning actually, which is you know if we are if we are teaching someone a book, we don't need to know the whole book; we just have to be one chapter ahead of them, right? And yeah. so, like, we have to understand that people are at certain chapters through this journey of knowledge mm-hmm. and education. And if we're a, a step ahead of them, we've got a responsibility to pass that message on. Yeah. And the people that are steps ahead of us, we've got a responsibility to learn and grow and listen. Um, and so, yeah, you're right. hundred percent right. There's some accidental misinformation out there and, and we don't want to shut people down because they, we have to remember they've got the, the same intentions as us. They want mm-hmm. to give the best of, uh, you know, they want their clients to have uh, the absolute best, and they're, they're doing that with the knowledge and the skills and the tools that they have at that time. Yeah, 100%. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And we, we shouldn't discourage that. We should encourage that and uh, also promote uh, ongoing education, learning, development, all of that sort of good stuff. 110%. Yeah. It's um, it's funny. Like when we talk, when we hear about, uh, I think we've said this on past podcast before when people say, oh, my coach sabotaged me, you know, he, he was holding me back. It's like, nah, your, your coach wasn't doing that at all. Your coach had your best interests uh and whether it's your, you know, um, expression of strength, competing powerlifting or bodybuilding, they're doing their best with yeah. the tools and information that they have. That they they literally gave it their best crack. This is their job. They're trying to make money. I think they want to do a pretty good job of it. Mm. It, it's a, it doesn't serve them a service to, mm. to be exactly to give you a, a poor result. <laughs> 
Exactly. I'm curious to hear what what your experience has been like. You know, it's very different. I don't have much experience coaching bodybuilders, so mm. it's, it's a very different experience for us. People do get the the emotional um, uh, investment and and get more emotional towards the end of a a prep, if you can call it that. You know, a mm-hmm. peak. Uh, but I, I feel like we're working in very different conditions, you know, towards the end of a peak in, in powerlifting, you should be eating more. You should be in a calorie neutral or calorie, calorie surplus. You're feeling good. You're rested. You're deloading. You're feeling strong. You're peaking. Yes. Whereas for you guys, it's the opposite. Emotions are high. Food is low. Everyone's hangry. Everyone's grumpy. What's your experience been dealing with people in highly emotional states like that? And what advice would you have to up and coming coaches as to how they can deal with people in highly emotional states without taking that on board themselves and, and basically burning themselves out and hating the sport? Look, I think that we are emotional beings and it's important to acknowledge that. But it's also important in those times to appeal to logic. You feel like this because of X, Y, Z. Uh, so in that scenario, it's like, hey, I'm really feeling pretty horrible, B, at the end. And don't get me wrong, there is, it's, there's a certain level of normal with feeling horrible, but then there's a point where it's too much and you've got you to gotta understand this. But I mean, I would ask that question, right? Like from their perspective, like, you know, why do I feel like this? I feel like this because I am uh, purposely pursuing the, uh, purposely pursuing getting very lean, which involves a long period of hypocaloric dieting. Uh, and, you know, is that conducive to my goals? Like, yeah, getting lean it is. So you're able to understand, accept and move on. We're still emotional beings, but we're able to appeal to logic. And I think from a management strategy, that's a, a good way to start. Mm-hmm. What one thing you just said there, you know, there's 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 feeling bad and there's feeling kind of too bad. Yeah. What what are the red flags? Like what what sort of things would people say that are like, whoa, something's amiss here? And I, I gather it doesn't really happen with your people because you've got such a a refined, controlled approach. Uh, but you know, in other circumstances, what what are the red flags of people taking things too far? I mean, look at the. At the end of Connor's preparation, if you are truly lean, even if you have increased your caloric intake back to energy maintenance at the end of a Connor's prep prior to getting on stage, which represents an ideal situation, you are likely still to experience some general lethargy where your feet feel like there's bricks in your shoes, uh, walking on you know hard surfaces uncomfortable because of the limited thickness to the fat pads of your feet, you lost half a shoe size, yep. uh, your sleep's a bit disjointed. But when someone comes to me and says, hey, I'm really struggling just to you know, unrack a bar in the gym, I'm feeling that sort of level of fatigue because your fatigue inputs aren't just training, there's diet fatigue as well and everything's converging at this one time. Mm-hmm. But then I would say, okay, we really need to make some changes here to uh, when it comes to fatigue management. So, I mean, a couple, there'll be a couple of bits and pieces. When someone's absolutely not able to sleep because their fatigue is so high, uh, getting through their activities of daily living is not happening. And keeping in mind that no matter if, um, <clears throat> no matter whether you're an amateur athlete or a pro bodybuilder, you have other responsibilities in life that need to be taken care of. Mm. Most people have occupations outside of bodybuilding, uh, unless you're an IFBB pro. Even then, probably not. Uh, might have kids, etc. So when those er- other areas, really important areas in life, are affected or not you know, able to be managed, then I would say, okay, now it's a time to to reassess. Um, but I mean, I mean, outside of that, I mean, if you <laughs> if you're uh, I mean, if, you, if your fatigue is so high and that you're, you're struggling to manage blood pressure to the point where you're just feeling faint all through the day, I would say, okay, these are, these are red flags. You've got to draw the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever seen anything really, really bad happen? Uh, uh, back in the day when people used to take 
Uh, well, actually, in nat- natural bodybuilding, you should never take diuretics. But back in the day, when used to go to enhanced federations, when people would deplete fluid and take diuretics, mm. it, things got scary. You know, yeah. on stage, people are like, in between judging, wavering side to side, and you know, there's the MC like, hey. Uh, do, you, do you need some water? Because, and, and, you know, I have... I uh, actually didn't see this, but I was at a show once where someone depleted... This is actually a natural show, so she probably didn't take diuretics, but... Um, hopefully she, not. <laughs> well, you would... No, hopefully not. But um, she depleted water so hard that she actually got... Um, had some pretty hefty renal issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that was like a, you know, ambulance come in and ship her out, and it was like, that was completely unnecessary. For those watching uh, who are bodybuilding enthusiast don't deplete your fluid that's a really good tip as a start it's unsafe and uh at least for bodybuilding it's un- it's un- unsafe and uh, not going to be conducive to your result anyway yeah i mean you just get rid of heaps of <coughs> intramuscular water and just look really small right generally speaking i mean there's some potential benefit to tapering fluids down a little bit for the sake of uh not being uh hyperhydrated when you're about to get on stage yeah but i mean the levels of depletion which people used to do you know i'm talking 20 hours at 100 milliliters of water or something crazy. I'm like, yeah, this is going to be problematic. Isn't there a story of, of Paul Dillett like getting tetanus on stage and having to be carried off? There might or be. Or something? That was actually a bit before my time, so I'm not sure. All right. <laughs> Jamie, pull that on. Oh, <laughs> yeah, there's something like that. I'm going to Google later. This is um, just, who, who for you, who are your favorite? Uh, this is just a random question I just thought of. Who are your favorite bodybuilders? Oh. Let's Let's go with Enhanced. Are you, do you watch the enhanced stuff? I do watch the enhanced stuff. Yeah, certainly. Um, look, I'm definitely a, quite a fan of the old school. Uh, Tom Platt's one of my favorite bodybuilders. Yeah. And the reason is for that is not just his physique. I mean, it wasn't the greatest physique. He had some freaky legs though, but mm. it was his mentality. Intensity. You know, his I love the way he trained. He's famous for saying something on the lines of, you know, uh, you know, when you're going through your set and you, and you think you can't do any more, do five more. And then once you've done that, do some partials. When you can't hold the bar, like that's an indication the set might be over. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I really like this. This is cool. So he'd be one of my favorite of the, the old school bodybuilders on the enhanced side of things. I mean, natural go- side of things, there's definitely some amazing, um, there's some amazing guys across the board. I'm definitely a big fan of Nunez because he is a quality of a quantity athlete. I'm not the biggest frame guy. So that kind of resonates with me. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's definitely... Definitely some great athletes getting around. Tom Platts, he was um, one of my first favorite, like, would you call it golden era bodybuilding? Yeah. He was one of my first favorite golden uh, era bodybuilders. I just remember a video of him on the hack squat. Yeah. Squatting like ass to grass. And he's got like, you know, just the white knee wraps on, little uh, purple bike tights on, a crop top and a headband. And I was like, this guy's the man. The golden eagle. Yeah. (laughs) It was Kevin Lavroni for me. Yeah. Kevin Lavroni and Lee Priest. Actually, Priest was also amazing. I've never seen anything like it since then. At what, 168 centimeters tall? Yeah, he's same height as me. Yeah, just the muscle bellies was nuts. Same muscle bellies. I've got too. I've got a photo on my phone of, of him in the off season out angling a guy at like a, a car race, and it's my favorite favorite bodybuilding photo of all time. It's not bodybuilding <laughs> photo, but it's a bodybuilder. Yeah, just yeah, like. Yeah. The size of his arm next to this person. I used to look at it before every training session when I was a teenager. It's it nuts. It's like nuts. so good. I just loved how out of shape Lee Priest got in his off season. <laughs> I don't know if that was intentional or not. Just saying. Like, <laughs> I just loved it. He just he loved smashing KFC. Eh? That was his thing. Whatever he was doing, he was packing away some cows. Yeah. Pretty, pretty up there in the off season. Uh, what's your guilty pleasures then for, for food? What's your, what's your must have after a prep? 
to be fair, I'm not overly food food focused, which works to my advantage. But don't get me wrong, at the end of a condensed preparation, food focus, appetite is definitely much higher. Um, that's actually a good question. After my last show, what do I do? I was in the US, I went to a sandwich bar. They don't do sandwiches like Australia. It's like a full-blown burger. Yeah, mm. um, real sandwiches. Had a couple of those. Kind of walked out of there with my uh, my back arch with the stomach hanging out the front. <laughs> like, oh, this is not very comfortable. Um but nothing that straight away comes to mind. That's, that's how it goes for me. It's funny because um, I used to coach Brendan's uh, fiance, mm. uh, the lovely Rachel. And she used to always tell me how like, yeah, Brandon isn't food motivated at all. Like food is what he needs, you know, to. On the most behalf. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very functional. Yeah. Like food's food. It's like, and she, she, she was telling me, you know, she always had a hard time with that because she likes to have wine and enjoy herself. But Brandon, no, nah, he's prepping. That's it. I think that in general, I mean, our relationship with food is inherently really complex. There's an enjoyment factor, there's a cultural factor, et cetera. And I'm not immune to those components. It's just that, um, I suppose rather thankfully I wasn't, um, I suppose gifted with, with this major food design. I would say that if you're an individual of whom your favorite thing is to go out three times a week and go participate in fine dining, I would say, you know what, condos press will be hard for you. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know whether it's, uh, acquired through by virtue of my chosen sport and participating it from such a young age, or if it is um, probably something more sort of on the hereditary side of things. But yeah, I'm, I am pretty functional on that side of things. Definitely. Do you think there's also a genetic component to, um, obviously there is like with muscle bellies and things like that, but with mm. the outcome and for yourself, cause um, I've seen a photo of your, your mum and mm. she's jacked as well. <laughs> yeah. So she's she, really, she used to come in here time to time. She used to, yeah. Look on the topic of genetics, genetics play a role in essentially everything um from like you said muscle architecture skeletal structure etc and as i often say um when it comes to nutrition and training you know genetics well basically we're all built around the same 11 systems we'll respond to the same principles but genetics will in part influence the magnitude of change per unit of input whether it's training or nutrition uh you know advanced athlete so two athletes with the same training age one person needs more volume or less volume to get a similar result etc so hereditary genetics definitely play a role, even when it comes to one's proclivity for fat loss and lean mass retention. I mean, there's many variables coming to that, but I would argue that genetics do influence it as well. Um, and I mean, the guys at the top of the game, whether it's natural or not, they do represent you know hereditary enigmas. They've got they've got the strategy, they've got the time, they've got the work ethic. Plus, they've got genetics. Mm. Um, and I suppose on my side of things, my mother, I mean, she's a purebred athlete from a young age, so. There's an environmental piece there as well. So, yeah, I mean, she's at 55. Um, you know, they, they grow all their food on their farm, still train six hours a week on silks. So she's got these cap delts and six-pack abs, you know, <laughs> from from essentially good living and, and very high outputs for many years. Wild. So does your mum compete in bodybuilding as well? Or what no. does she do? She does uh, she many things. I mean, she yeah. was like gymnastics. Then she was trying to be a stunt woman for a while. It didn't happen. But uh, then it was horse racing. And more recently, she does silks. So aerial silks. Yeah, wow. That's amazing. What other sports did you do growing up? Uh, basically, you did BMX for a while. Nice. Yeah, nice. Thomas would love that. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. boys. But, uh, but I mean, not the BMX on the skate park. Okay. Um, but outside of that, it was basically just just bodybuilding. Pretty, yeah, nice. Pretty simple, right? Dedicated. Have you ever strayed away from bodybuilding during your career? Like since you're 19 years old, have you ever actually thought, fuck, I want to do powerlifting? Like, because your training is so, you know, 
like we said before, you, you have based a lot of your training around squat, bench, deadlift, or something along those lines, and you've pushed some of those lifts very hard. Well, I did have, a one, yeah, go on. have you ever been like, I want to compete? Uh, I mean, look, I did a one rep max one, like way back in 2018. The deadlift? 300. I was there, and every, really? power, every powerlifter was so gutted. Oh, my God. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, Thomas, can I put that on, on the board? You're like, you straps. No, can't count that one. <laughs> Sorry. Walked away with my tail between my legs. But um, that was a four-week intensification. I was like, oh, let's give this a go. Um, but, I mean, it, the thought has crossed my mind. But the thing is, I've always been so focused on the next show that I didn't want to have a, you know, a short period of time where I just really focused on it. Because, I mean, if laws of specificity apply. If you want to be your best bodybuilder, um, focus on that. You want to be your best power to focus on that. But, I mean, I wouldn't rule it out. Um, my very weak bench press. Don't get me wrong if I focused on it. Did I? high-frequency program and worked on the skill, I'd probably improve there too. Um, but, I mean, it's crossed my mind. Put it like that. Mm-hmm. What are your best numbers? I think, I mean, deadlift is a 300. I think a bench, 155. But, I mean, it wouldn't have been contest spec and that didn't pause on the on the chest. Um, and the squat, I actually can't remember. It was not as strong as you'd think. Maybe maybe 190, something like that. I don't know. I think you can do more than 190. <laughs> when I saw you doing the... F- 150 for 15. Yeah, it was like sets of 15 with 150 high, bro. I was like, that's absolutely insane. Wow. <laughs> but again, I mean, the skill of expressing a one rep max, it's, mm. it just isn't there. And that's obviously just with SBD knee sleeves. Um, I'm sure if I did a block with you guys, I'd be able I'd learn to actually use my levers to my advantage in the squat and mm. push out some big weight. It's the same reason I don't do bodybuilding. You know, I just haven't <laughs> developed the skill. I, don't, I just don't want to give it the time to <laughs> yeah. detract from my powerlifting. I'm with you. Though. I don't want to be too good. Yeah, <laughs> That's it. Like, I've got the ability of, you know, genetics, all that. <laughs> genetics, load the gun, work ethic is what gets you to the next level. All that shit. Look at all that. <laughs> the Filipino Lee Priest. Yeah. <laughs> do you Minus have any advice ethic. for someone who wants to transition from another sport into bodybuilding besides getting a coach? I mean, that'd be my main piece of advice. But I do mm. think that people coming from other sports generally do well in bodybuilding because if you develop mental toughness in something else, whether it's powerlifting, uh, swimming or whatever, you will definitely have the, the psychological tools needed to, to, to really do well in bodybuilding. Um, but I mean, best advice would definitely be, I mean, yes, again, I'm repeating you here, but get a coach, someone who's going to fast track knowledge acquisition so that you can be as productive as possible from the get-go. Because time is an irreplaceable commodity. And if you want to be your best bodybuilder, it takes substantial time. So why not get a coach, be effective or maximally effective from the get-go as opposed to faffing around for the first 18 months and then getting you know, getting in 100% from there. Yeah, nice. We we joked about this uh, podcast being a free consultation. <laughs> <laughs> Summer Bridges' questions nice. are getting very consulty. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So uh, if I wanted to start mm. dieting, uh, yeah. <laughs> I've got this friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brandon, we've chewed your ear off enough. We're gonna James is gonna hit you with some this or that. All right, and then we'll call it a day. All right, this or that, Brandon: squat, bench, or deadlift? Deadlift. Keto or carnivore? See yourself. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Is neither an option? Gosh. You have to pick one. I would say the... Uh, and you have to do it. Mm. Oh, I would Ideally neither, but I would say that the risk of micronutrient deficiency would be less than the keto. Much higher than a regular diet, but less than the carnivore diet. So keto. 
Favorite natural body <laughs> builder. You heard it here first. <laughs> Brandon wins his next pro show on keto. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a great way to lose muscle, but <laughs> moving on. Uh, favorite natural bodybuilder, Simeon Panda or Mike O'Hearn? <laughs> <laughs> I'd say between those two, uh, <laughs> the probability of one of those being natural is probably higher in Simeon given his um, BBC genetics, but uh, <laughs> it's still low. <laughs> so Simeon, all right. RPE or RIR? I'm a bit of the old school. I find myself often using RPE, but I mean, RIR makes very logical sense to me. Bodybuilding or power building? Body lifting. No. <laughs> <laughs> I do like the concept of power building so to speak as we spoke about yeah trin or decker <laughs> i don't know mate <laughs> <laughs> what's decker <laughs> all i hear about is uh the old school bodybuilders talk about decker and the new school talk about trend so uh let's just say creatine but not nice. the trend <laughs> online or face to face uh i i like the online side of things i like them both man these are these, I understand this is supposed to be a short answer. Let's just say online, okay? No, you can elaborate. <laughs> elaborate. Oh, yeah. yeah. You can elaborate. Look, I, I like building the, the relationships that you build in person, um, but I like having the option to help people who aren't locally based online. So, I mean, but and, and to be fair, all of my business is online, so we'll say online. Well, part of your success is you've built such a great community online anyway. Like you get mm. people travel from far and wide just to come and do a team day, or at least you, you, when you were doing the blend of in-person and online yeah. Uh, so th that that ability to translate those personal relationships into the online medium and still develop community and connectedness through your brand is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred um, <clears> percent. <throat> the hack squat or pendulum? If it's a really good hack squat, I go the hack squat. I think it's going to be better for overall development than the pendulum. Bench press or dumbbells? Well, hang, on, hang on. Wait. Wait. I want to know why um, it would be better for overall development. Uh, one of the issues that I have with a, a pendulum squat is its narrow uh, range of loading. So, you know, you have this narrow section where you have peak load and then it drops off a lot. Okay. Whereas if you have a good high squat, so my favorite is a Cybex, uh, I think you're going to have tension through a larger range. And in both of those movements, you're able to reach uh, end range knee flexion. So I would go hack. I use one of those like Kaz designed one of whatever 20 or whatever in the world while I was in the States. Yeah. One of the Atlantis hack squats. Yeah, what's it like? I've never used an Atlantis hack. It was a hack squat. <laughs> like, I, I mean, <laughs> Daniel and I were talking about this. Like at the end of the day, uh, I, I get there's nuance between them and mm. different ones feel different, but you're moving from point A to point B. Like it's not as, um, I guess, doesn't feel as varied as say like a, a chest supported row. Uh, mm. where if the angle's off or the the cam is funny, like there's so much variability in how that feels. <laughs> Whereas like the hack squat, again, I recognize that they do feel different machine to machine and mm. it felt nice and it was smooth and it felt good, but it was a hack squat. Was it worth 20 grand or? I wouldn't pay that much. <laughs> no. <laughs> there is definitely more nuance in a chest press, but uh, there there is... Personally, I get on certain hack squat machines and I'm like, yeah, it feels like my knee's going to explode. Yeah, yeah, and definitely. then I get on a good hack squat where the the angle of the sled and, and the relationship to the, the foot pad actually fits my structural anthropometry. And I'm like, this is amazing. And that would be a Cybex for me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, bench press or dumbbells for pec development? Definitely dumbbells gives you 
more variability in your glenohumeral positioning to find comfort and maximize recruitment of the pec. <sighs> Turkesterone or GPC alpha? No, alpha GPC. Alpha GPC all day. Good for focus. Yes. Sweet. What do you think about turkesterone, by the way? Turkesterone, I wouldn't put much uh, stock in it. Uh, I will say that it is currently... Well, actually, a couple of things, right? So it's an active steroid by definition. There is a scarcity of research actually evaluating its efficacy, let alone its safety. The papers available on it are actually not of that particular ectosteroid. So uh, it's even papers that show potential benefit, the transferability to actually testosterone is, well, pretty much nil. Uh, it's also currently on the WADA watch list. And generally speaking, if it works, it will be banned with the exception of creatine. Um, caffeine, good old 1,3-trimethylxanthine, was actually banned at one point, uh, is no longer. But generally speaking, if it, if it works, it will be banned. So it's on that watch list. I... I wouldn't be taking it for the sake of safety or inadvertently potentially ruining your natural status. Was caffeine completely banned or did it have a limitation on it? I believe it was a limitation on like the... 200 milligrams or something. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was only like 2009, I think, off the top of my head where it was taken off. Like it was really quite recent. Yeah, I, w- I was in uni and I was uh, I-, I shared a class and became really good friends with someone who was on the Olympic synchronized swimming team. Mm. Uh, and she couldn't have... Caffeine. Like we, we we were in class and she's like, oh, I can't have a coffee. It's like, why? And yeah. Crazy. It's crazy to that's think the that. the only reason yeah. I know. <laughs> um, what, uh, what, what, did you ever dabble in the original Jack 3D? Yes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that, that was um, back in the day, that was, I would have been about 17 years old. Nice. And I, I, back at that back then, my, my sensitivity to stims was through the ceiling. I'd have a coffee once every, I don't know, two weeks. I took this stuff and I'm like, oh, I felt good. <laughs> I could train all day. Uh, so I did. No, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, if you actually look at the ingredients list, it's actually a pretty average product from the perspective of the, the other ergogenic you know, compounds within it. It was just a very stimmy uh, pre-workout and pretty much the OG. That mm. and NO Explode. And NO Explode would make you explode at the backside, so that wasn't very comfortable. <laughs> uh, you had to have the full stack. NO, uh, Nitrix, NO Explode, and then cell mass afterwards. That's it. that's where it's at. Smart marketing, really smart marketing. That is. <laughs> I bought it. That's yeah. what you wanted to ask. When you first started, what was your stack? Yeah, what's your stack? Like we all had a real funny stack when we first started lifting. You know, had to get this BCAA, had to get a Salvation Extend. Yeah, Con- concrete. Yeah, what did yours oh, look yeah, like? Yeah, I, remember, yeah, I remember that actually. Um, when I started lifting, <clears throat> I was very short on uh, currency. So basically, my main stack was like uh, dried milk powder for protein because I, nice. I couldn't get my hands on whey protein on a, on a very much student budget. Uh, I do remember getting creatine. I remember being super nervous taking creatine. Like, oh my God, I'm going <laughs> go to... I might fuck up the loading phase. I'm going to fucking explode tomorrow. <laughs> uh, I'm going to get huge. Uh, disappointed? No, but <laughs> creatine is a great product. But definitely creatine. And there was a time where, you know, when I could afford to do so, yeah, definitely get into um, the fundamentals. Whey protein, uh, BCAs, back in the day and there used to be a product from Muscle Farm which is a pre-workout and to this day I actually love this product because it was like a protein scoop worth so it actually had a full ergogenic dose of a lot of great products like creatine included and um, that was a wonderful product I used to take that What's early it in my career Muscle Farm Assault they still make it I think but it's it's a micro dose like everything else these days because it's too expensive to actually give you a clinical serving of the stuff you want what was the first whey protein you got? Because I was um, on a student's budget back then, it was uh, plain 
plain whey protein. Uh, we used to get that stuff for 17 bucks a kilo. So, and uh, mixed with water, enough to make you want to throw up, but I do it back in the day. <laughs> plain protein is disgusting. It is nasty. Instantized BCAs, that is also equally disgusting. Mm. Yeah. It's like a cappuccino has no mixability and you're skimming that stuff off the top of your horrible tasting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nothing's worse than pea protein. Yeah. That was my first protein. International protein, pea protein. <laughs> Disgusting. Hey, it's very sad. <laughs> and then I thought all protein tasted like that, so I just thought it was gross. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because when I first started getting into training, I loved protein. And, you know, I'd froth it. I'd yeah, got Rocky Road flavour, white chocolate and all yeah. that stuff. And now when you drink it, you're like, this sucks. Disgusting. <laughs> I don't mind it. Like, I mean, these days, and to be fair, the flavoring systems are so good these days. Much better. Yeah. I mean, play, plain, again, plain whey protein concentrate, there's nothing worse. It's it's horrific. <laughs> All right. BK, where can the people find you? Uh, they can find me on Instagram under the handle Brandon Kemter, and that is basically where I'm at. You can probably find me on Facebook, uh, but I'm not on TikTok yet. You guys on TikTok? No. Hey. I am. <laughs> Good on you. Bridget does dances. We catch her in the corner. <laughs> dances. Now, thank you so much for coming on, Brandon. You. You're an absolute. You're such a gentleman of the sport. Uh, no one's got a bad thing to say about you. Thank you so much for coming on and doing this. Well, thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brandon. Bam. Thank you so much for listening to the Zero Podcast. If you want more information, head to our Instagram, zero underscore weakness. Hit the link in the bio for all of our services and any information on upcoming workshops and events. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review so we can have a broader reach and answer more people's questions. Thank you once more.